Matthew 22, verse 39, if you have your Bibles. Matthew 22, verse 39. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well-known verse for us to contemplate this afternoon, but let's be clear, it's not a convenient truth for anyone in the 21st century to consider necessarily loving our neighbor because we are taught and trained to look after self, to govern self. You go into any bookstore, the largest section, the fastest growing section is all self-esteem, self-help books. But yet I want us to contemplate exactly what Jesus is calling us to do in this extravagant example of love by honoring and serving our neighbor. And I think for us the issue is not necessarily as who is our neighbor, but who we're supposed to love the issue is our hearts. Who are we? Are we willing to demonstrate the genuine love and compassion that he calls us to and get wrapped up in somebody else's mess? These are some choices for us to make today. So my goal is to deconstruct that commandment word by word to see exactly what Jesus meant. But just by way of an introduction, most of you don't know me for a very, very long period of time, but pre-Christ, I think it was Simon in the first series, uh, first sermon on this series, used the phrase hot mess. That would be a very accurate reflection of my life. I was very egotistical, very arrogant, very self-centered, incredibly selfish. And it was an encounter with Christ that changed the way that I saw life. I was inherently self-seeking, self-promoting. It was me, myself, and I, you know, the Holy Trinity that we all lean on from time to time. And then actually God broke in. God spoke into my life and actually showed me that I am, have a responsibility to love my neighbor. So I just want to unpack a little bit on the mess for us. The mess in somebody else's life or your own life is a lens in which we discover God. God reveals himself and his presence in the context of somebody's mess. Now, maybe you're a bit like me this afternoon and you're between messes. Good place to be. Um, perhaps you inherit a mess. Perhaps you're, you're a bit like me pre-Christ, where I was just great at gravitating or creating messes. I was like an expert. Flip a coin in the air, I will call it wrong a hundred times in a row, no problem. But the reality for us today is that we need to be able to jump into other people's mess, to jump into their circumstances and their situations, to be healing balm to other people in the body of Christ. And so I implore you that as you try and hear and understand somebody else's mess, you will see them differently. You will see them differently. You will see their circumstances, you will see their challenges differently. Because when we take the time to hear somebody else's decision-making, the way they operate, the way they naturally default in a given situation, we put ourselves in their position. And therefore we start to understand a little bit more about who they are. And instead of critiquing, and judgmentalism, that dissipates and we're left in a place of willing obedience to honor and serve them today. So I wanna deconstruct it. So let's look at the first word, love. I don't know about you, but for me it's the most abused word in the, in the English language. We love everything, don't we? I mean, I can't find anything that we don't love unless you're a bit like me and you're an Arsenal fan and the only thing you don't love is Spurs. I mean, outside of that, you know, it's cool. Uh, ice cream, you know, there's lots of different things that we say we love, but actually, how much do we really love them? We use the word frivolously to describe people, situations, and things, and we're flippant in our neglect for it. 
The contemplation of divine love in the biblical fullness is never something that finishes in itself. It always provokes a response from us. It always stirs us. Our rest in God never finds fulfillment in itself, but always leads us out of that in love to others and towards God. The love of God has to be lived as well as learned. The love of God causes us to overflow, much like the songs we were singing, fill me up, God, fill me up. That overflow, that spillage is what carries into somebody else's life. And those are the opportunities and the the things that present us today where we can then speak into other people's lives. The true word of God that we have in scripture will abide in us, will not return empty if we take the moment to look at the person next to us for who they really are in God. That we don't see the biggest problem that they have, but we see the potential. We don't see their predicament, but we see potential for them to grow in all the things that God has for them. Well, what about the two next two words, your neighbor? This one's awkward, isn't it? Because he's clearly put an attachment to that. He's not said the neighbor, he said your neighbor. So with that, we have a responsibility to each other. And it's often not easy because we don't want to embrace the responsibility that God has given us, but yet they're there. Your neighbor is your responsibility. We can shy away from those responsibilities today or we can run to them and embrace them. Every day we have an opportunity to do that. Don't judge me here. <clears throat> I have a few tattoos. Some of you don't know, you know, we're going to dig out the old scripture, you know, should you, shouldn't you. Anyway, I only have one Bible verse. It's on my right arm, don't worry. 1 John 4:19. It's a verse that I try as much as possible to live my life by. We love because he first loved us. We cannot give something that we have not received. Doesn't matter. You can try and have as much intellect as much read as many books as you want, but we cannot give something that we've not received. Because we have loved, because we have first been loved, we then know how to love, and yet that, that is still a choice for us. Love is always a choice. It's never a feeling, it's always a choice. We must be desiring to seek out what's in our own spiritual best interest. And in doing that, the overflow, the default, is that we then seek the best, and the high, we place a high priority on our neighbors spiritual well-being. We seek the best for them, even if it costs us something. Basically, what he's saying here is we should always seek the best for our neighbor the way that we would naturally seek our own good and our own well-being. The two go hand in hand, and that's something for us to embrace this afternoon. And then he uses the word as, and it's kind of the word there that's kind of, you don't really think about it, you just kind of mull over it until we get to yourself. But the word as is, it's a mirror reflection. To the same degree that you look after yourself, you should look after your neighbor. To the same degree that you seek your best interests, you seek the best interests of your neighbor. He's not simply saying that we should pursue whatever we want without any due care for our neighbor. He's actually saying that it should not diminish the minute it gets to our neighbor. It should be the exact same measure, but often that's not the case. We should measure our pursuit of happiness by our pursuit in our neighbor's happiness self-assessment moment for us. Do we pursue our own well-being to the same degree that we pursue our neighbor's well-being? And if the answer to that is, I'm not sure, it's probably no. If the answer is no, then we need to address it. If the answer is yes, praise God for all that you're doing in those different people's lives. Let's take a moment now to consider yourself. It's a tough word for us, but instead of viewing Jesus as commanding us to love ourselves, 
this being a very important step. Rather, Jesus is already assuming that we already love ourselves. Because let's be honest, we do all love ourselves, right? Amen? Or is it just me? We should all love ourselves. I mean, Apostle Paul was pretty clear in Ephesians 5 verse 29. He says, For no one has ever, ever, the word ever, hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it. Right throughout Scripture, there's not a caution against a lack of self-interest, but there are genuine, persistent, and real cautions against too much self-interest. Romans 12 verse 3. I have to say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. And when we read Romans 12, it's, I think it's a very significant chapter for us because it calls us to be living sacrifices. We're called to embrace one another in service to Christ, but we're also called to put our love in action. We read Romans 12 verse 10, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. And that's a radical invitation that requires a response from us this afternoon. It requires us to step out of our comfort zone, to step out of the situations that we naturally gravitate or default to and actually be our brother or our sister's keeper and look after our neighbor. What about Martin Luther, the German theologian? He fronted up the Protestant Reformation. He said, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. Amen? Our neighbors need our good works. They need to see Christ in us every single time that we interact with them. What about Romans 12, verse 16? Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Twice he cautions us against being proudful, against being arrogant, maybe in our thinking, and yet he provides the antidote. Affiliate with people less fortunate. And I can tell you that lends tremendous perspective. As much as possible, just a small thing that we do, I try and do with some of the guys that I have the privilege of discipling, is once a month we go out to Charing Cross to feed the homeless. And I tell you, it's, it's interesting when you're out there on the street because you're dealing with people who have nothing. You're dealing with people that can offer you almost nothing, but it really lends perspective about what God has called us to do. He's called us to be the hands and feet of Jesus every single place that we go. And I'm continually amazed every time, and we were there on Friday, there's a couple of people here that were there as well, that some of these people, you make an impact in their lives. They remember your name, even when you haven't seen them for six months. And for me, that's like, that's what Jesus would do. That's loving your neighbor. It's not, it's not trying to be everything to everyone necessarily, but it's being something to someone at a given moment. And I can tell you, they appreciate it. They may not communicate it, they may not verbalize it to you, but they do appreciate it when we choose those moments where you can be anywhere else on a Friday night and you're out on a cold street in central London serving homeless people food that invariably don't say thank you, but you do it anyway, that's called being salt and light. That's called loving your neighbor. That's called putting the kingdom of God first. That's where God breaks in. That's where God breaks through. And we've had even some of the people there, they've come to the church as a result of it. They've come to faith as a result of it. And, and for me, that, that's, what, that's what makes things come alive for me, is seeing people's lives being changed. And I remember one of the first times we did it, there was a few of the young guys out, and a, a few of the people that were there, we were serving, they're like, you guys should be in a nightclub. And we're like, nah, we don't do that anymore. We're too old for that, right, some of us. <laughs> but the reality is they were aware, they were very conscious that we could be absolutely anywhere else in the world right now. Why are we standing in a queue, freezing cold, on the strand, handing out food? because we believe in it, 
because we believe in them. We believe in the potential that they have in Christ. And so they are people that we would call of lowly association. But yeah, those are the people Jesus spent a lot of his life with. And those are the people God is calling us to reach this afternoon, to be those hands and feet, to speak life into people's situations, to be physically present is also super important. You know, it's, it's not enough just to be on the end of a phone, not enough just to pray with someone or leave a voice note on WhatsApp or group chats. Being physically present with your neighbor is so important because it says, I've shut out everything else, uh, all the other distractions have gone, it's just you and I. And therefore you can give them your full and undivided attention because they're not going to build trust with you if you don't take those opportunities. Jesus is not teaching us about self-satisfaction, but he's teaching us self-denial. That is the path that leads to full relationship with Christ and with people. But I can hear some people in my ear saying, hang on a minute, Scott, well, what if I do all of this? What about me? What about me and my needs? Valid question, you might think. That's, that's the fear for us, isn't it, that we don't want to do it because it will somehow diminish what I'm trying to achieve in my life. I'm glad you asked. First of all, I can tell you from personal experience that as you go about God's business, he takes care of yours. I don't think there's a person in this room that would challenge that. We know that as we go about what God has called us to do, he will meet our needs. He will deal with the challenges, the mess, the struggles, the challenges that we find in our lives. Our God, our love for God is, in ex is expressed in our love for others. You are never more like God when you jump into somebody else's mess, when you help heal the brokenhearted, when you're present with the widow, when you help the orphans, when you go to homeless outreaches, whatever it is that you're doing, you're never more like Jesus in those moments. You lift up the fallen, you restore the brokenhearted. That's what God is calling us to do. But the one reason that Jesus gave us a commandment before he gave us the commandment to love our neighbor, he says in Matthew 2:37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The commandment to love our neighbor is based on the first commandment. If we already love God, then we don't ever have to worry about what about me? Because we know that God's taking care of us, unless we don't love God, in which case those questions can permeate from our hearts and minds. Love God with all your heart, i.e. find satisfaction in God that is so full that there's nothing else or no one else that can add to that. Nothing and no one else that can add to that. Love God with all your strength, i.e. totality of efforts. Leave nothing on the field. At no point you could think, oh, what if I'd just done a bit more? What if I had just made an extra phone call? What if I had just sent an extra $10 to that, or 10 pounds to that person? Everything on the field. Love God with all your mind. In him alone, all guidance, all wisdom, all knowledge that could possibly be fathomed by the human mind is satisfied in him. It's in those moments that we then see God glorified. What he is saying is take all the longings for joy and hope and fulfillment that we have and attach it to God. Channel it to the Lord. And if he is already the chief focus of our desires, then we will naturally find joy in doing his will, including serving others. The challenge we have is if we don't do that, the fear of kind of not wanting to serve because of a lack of personal fulfillment will only result in emptiness, dissatisfaction, and your joy being robbed. Your joy being robbed. So three application points. No sermon is good without three application points, right? Number one, we must see our neighbors. When I mean see, we must see past the mess. We must see past their biggest challenge. 
because I don't know about you, but I've been guilty on occasions where someone will come up to me with a challenge in a circumstance, and I'm like, whoa, I know that's going to need X amount of hours. And sometimes it's easier just to go, sorry, I'm busy doing something else. And you just kind of gravitate away from them, right? Let's be honest. But we actually have to see past that person's biggest challenge. Because somebody did that for me a long time ago, 16 years ago. Somebody looked past my biggest challenges, plural, and there were a lot. Amen. <laughs> There's still a few <laughs> bits of residue hanging around, but there we are. Somebody took the time to look past my biggest challenges and see the potential. We love someone, not for who they are, but for who their potential is in Christ. That's being like Jesus. That's where God moves. That's where things change. That's how I was reached. We also must be Christ-like. God calls us to spur one another on to be more like Christ, but often heart issues get in the way. We take it to extremes, don't we? They share a challenge or a situation or a sin and we become super judgmental, super self-righteous or we go so far the other way that we're like, well, I don't even want to raise an issue with you. I don't want to help you get freedom on this. I don't want to help you get truth in this situation because you're fear of offending them. So find middle ground. But we also need to be sacrificial in our serving. We need to be involved in each other's lives. Galatians 6 verse 2, carry each other's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Nothing speaks like love when you're carrying somebody else's burdens. When you take the time to make that phone call or you remember the anniversary of when somebody's mother passed or whatever the situation, those are the moments where God breaks in. Those are the moments where we put our faith into action and it requires a response from us. Otherwise, we end up with the status quo and nothing changes. So in conclusion, the phrase that Jesus uses here, the word starts with love. Let me define love for you. It seeks the best possible outcome for the other person, regardless of the personal cost to yourself. You think about Jesus. He paid the greatest price. He paid the biggest price at a personal cost to him for you and for I. That's love. And that's what God is calling us to do today. But let's take a step back for a second. Let's imagine what the church would look like if we discovered the genuine joy in helping one another out of each other's messes. Imagine the power, imagine the testimonies, imagine the impact that this church, just Kensington Temple, London City Church would have in London if every single person here, we were falling over each other to help each other get out of each other's messes. Imagine how far that would spread with the hundreds of people. I mean, realistically, even in this room, we are probably connected to 100,000 people or more. Imagine if they all heard all of our stories. And then that manifests and that propagates and that develops and that enhances. We're going to start reaching millions of people. But we have to start getting into each other's messes. But often it's like, oh, I'll do that once I've sorted out my own mess. You're going to go from mess to mess in life. You're going to go from challenge to challenge. But the Bible is very clear. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything else is then added. And I believe that God is calling us to a radical call today to really impact each other's lives. Because when that happens, we will see change. We become irresistibly attractive to a hurting world that is starved of genuine love, starved of genuine care, and then God can move. We must see people and not their problems. James 2 verse 8 summarizes everything that I've said this afternoon. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. What an affirmation. We are doing things right in God's eyes 
when we love our neighbor. And so that's the call for us this afternoon, friends, is to love our neighbor.